This is a one and all media podcast. Today. 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 With Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. What makes Revelation so susceptible to wild imagination is, first of all, it's apocalyptic literature. But when you come to Revelation, you're not looking for the literal first, you're looking for the figurative. That's what Revelation means. That's what apocalyptic literature means. Okay, so this is the real end the final episode in our series titled The Story as we bring you the rest of Pastor Jeff's message on Revelation. My name is Aaron. I'm excited to finish this episode with each of you. And for much more in this series, in case you missed episodes, you can search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts and find all of the episodes there. And in the near future, we'll bring you more messages that focus on the book of Revelation in a new series. So make sure that you're subscribed to our podcast so you don't miss any episodes that come out in the future. But for now, here's Pastor Jeff to complete this message on the book of Revelation and what it can mean for us today. And here we go. Revelation 12, we come to one of those plays one of those sets on the stage that's attempting to describe the types of things that are going to happen between the time Jesus established his kingdom till the time he returns. 1260 days, 42 months, time, times, and half a time. And we're introduced to this woman who is clothed with the sun and the moon is under her feet. And it's a beautiful portrait because we've got 12 stars garlanded in her head. And the Bible says the woman is about to give birth And as the woman is about to give birth, there is a fiery red dragon that we're introduced to. And the red represents blood and destruction. So this is a bad guy. And we're told that the dragon has seven heads, which is authority. Anytime you see seven, you've got what? Perfection. So this is a perfect authority somewhere. Maybe not in the universe, but the Bible does say he is the prince of the power of the air, that you and I are children of God, but the whole world lies in the power or control or the sway of the evil one. So he has seven heads of authority and he has 10 horns, which is another symbol of authority. So this guy, whoever he is, got a lot of authority and a lot of power. And so we're told that this dragon, this fiery red dragon is waiting to devour the child that the woman is going to deliver. But the Bible says it's beautiful that this dragon is the one that took his tail and he flung a third of the stars out of the heavens. And that's language right out of Isaiah chapter 12 through 14. The devil at one point was Lucifer, the morning star And he had free will, just like everybody else, to reject or to go with God. And he rejected God and tried to usurp his authority. And the Bible says he took a third of the ministering servants with him. And he's plunged to the earth. It's that entity that tried to kill the Messiah. As the woman gives birth to the son, doesn't that sound like a good Christmas story? Well, a bad one, but it sounds like the Christmas story you know, where Herod has a policy of persecution for every two-year-old child and younger. The Bible goes on to say that the beauty of it is, even though the serpent, even though he tries to kill and destroy the child, that God took the woman 
and put her out in the wilderness and protected her for how long? 1260 days. How long? The entire time between the time Jesus set up his church and the time he returns, the Bible says God will never let the gates of Hades prevail against his church. The dragon may pursue. You may lose some of the battles in your life, but you will never lose the war. And the church may have times when it looks down and out, but it will always conquer. And one day it will shine like the stars in the sky and God will be our God and we will be his people. And then the story moves on and says, it introduces us to now there was battle in heavens. There's Michael and the archangel and he fought the devil and the dragon and his angels and Michael won. And it goes on to say, it's a great story because when Michael won, something beautiful happened that the devil was cast down out of heaven. You go back to the book of Job and you read where the devil had it placed in heaven at one point to accuse us before God because grace had not yet come. But now when Jesus died on the cross and the son was protected and he was whisked away to the father through the ascension, that he now sits at the right hand of the father and what Satan once had as a chair or a place before God has been removed. And now you and I have overcome not because of our good works, but because what? The blood of the lamb. Doesn't that inspire you to know that you're going to be right with God, not because of anything good that you've done, not because of how much Bible reading you do, how many times you went to church, but one day you're going to stand before God, the father, and he's going to have the gavel and he's like the judge. And I've had this dream before when I was smaller and probably because I read too much C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, but I remember just kind of standing before God and he's the judge and I'm about to be condemned because I know who I am. It's a scary thought to know that one day those eyes of fire will reveal every work of man, isn't it? That you'll stand before God and it's like a, it's like a fast forward video, shoom, just shows you all the things in your life. And then the gavel is about to come down because justice is going to roll like a river. And then your lawyer steps up and who is it? It's Jesus. He takes you by the arm. And he says, well, he's with me. And then you sprint. (laughs) And you walk on into heaven. The Bible says in Revelation 12 that we overcame the dragon, not because you were good, not because you were strong. You overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And what has been given to you by God can be taken away by no man. Do you understand that? Including the dragon. Then we move to the last scene. And the Bible says the dragon is ticked. I love it when the dragon is ticked. And he is thrown down. And so now he turns his attention toward the woman. Now that's why I believe the woman represents two things. In apocalyptic literature, you can have two meanings in one symbol. I believe one, it represents Mary and what happens when Mary gave birth to the Messiah. But also it represents the church because the church is the one God is protecting for 1260 days, for three and a half years. The entire time that Jesus set up his kingdom till the time he returns and the evil one goes down to planet earth. And the Bible says, oh, woe to those, woe to those inhabitants, because now he turns his attention on the church. But the Bible says, as he pursues her, he gives the church two wings right out of the old Testament wings of preservation, wings of safety. And she flies away and she's protected by God that he may try to destroy her, but he never will. And then he gets upset and frustrated. So he opens up a torrent of flood, floods and famines and earthquake that, that just represents earthly calamity all through revelation. And those calamities are going to exist throughout human history until God puts a stop to it. But the devil is even behind some of those as he tries to destroy the church physically and spiritually. But what does God do? But open up the earth and swallow up the flood and the church prevails. Now, the reason this is such a good story is because it reminds us of a couple things. Stay with me now that the stage has been set and the play is very simple. Salvation is here. You you understand that, right? No need to fear the dragon. Man, you're in the church. You're among the people of God. And there's power in your life. 
And no matter what happens from this day forward, no matter how much confusing it gets, you are safe with God. And the church may have weak moments, but it will always thrive somewhere in the world as it's doing right now in the Southern Hemisphere. You heard me say that for the first time in world history, there are more Christians in the Southern Hemisphere than in the Northern. The church will always move its center, but it will always be alive. And if one nation rejects it, it will move to another because the church will never die. This is my last point and we're going to finish this. So do I have you? You and I may not be persecuted like my friends in India, the pastors I told you about in the city of Damon. We may not be dipped in hydrochloric acid. You know, we may not be beaten with iron rods or our families are raped. And when you say that persecution, some people will say to me, well, you know, the great tribulation is not here. Try telling that to pastors in India. It's amazing when I hear interpretations and translations of Revelation, how much America's involved. Think we have a vested interest? I don't think the people in the first century knew what America was at that time, do you? There are types of things that are going to happen all across the world in every generation. And if you came here and you're looking for an easy life, you came to the wrong place. Because the Bible clearly says that you and I are being pursued. In some ways, folks, it's better. Now, listen, in some ways, it's better not to become a Christian. Now, what? Once you give your life to Christ, you've got a target on your head. And there is one who's going to pursue you. And so we ought not live like we're surprised when things don't go well. We ought not live like, you know, why is it that every time I get serious about my devotion that the phone rings? You think that's accidental? Why is it every time I overcome one temptation and another one rears its ugly head? Oh, what a coincidence. Why is it that every time you get serious about overcoming any addiction that another one pops up? Or any temptation that another one comes? Do you ever have times where you're like, man, it almost feels like that there's somebody in this world out to steal me of my joy. And the reason it feels like that is because there's somebody who in this world trying to steal your joy. The Bible says, Jesus said himself in John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Listen, the battle is going to be constant. And if you came looking for an easy life, you're not going to get it. But if you came and you're looking for the God of all power, and the Lord, the Lamb of God, who has authority over every area of your life, if you came looking for someone to give you power and wisdom and courage to overcome any addiction you ever engage in, to overcome any affliction, to overcome any anger issue, frustration, depression, whatever it is, if you came looking for that, man, you came to the right place. He is the Lamb of God. He is the first and the last. And he will give you power over anything in your life. We don't fear the devil. We don't even give him the time of day. We go on with our lives knowing that God came to give us life and have it to the full. But there's a metaphor here that's very powerful. And it's the metaphor of movement. Notice, the Bible says that when the devil heard or the devil was kicked out and lost his place because of the blood of the lamb, that he pursues the woman. It's a metaphor of movement all through Revelation. That first of all, he tries to snatch, he tries to destroy her, but God provides wings, so she's moving. Why did I just think of a Red Bull commercial? <laughs> wings so you can fly. And then the floods come and God swallows the water up in the earth and the woman flees. 
It's a metaphor movement. Here's what the early Christians understood that so many of us do not. As long as you're moving, you're going to be okay. But when your Christian life becomes stagnant and you stop moving and you stop swimming against the tide and you stop walking against the grain and you stop reading your Bible and you stop praying and you stop being a person of generosity and you stop giving and living your life for a purpose greater than yourself. At that point, you become stagnant and that's when you're most vulnerable. You're a sitting duck. And that's when the devil can come in and he can catch you. But don't worry. If you're caught right now, you may lose a battle, but you won't lose the war. Because you're made right by God, not on how well you do, but on how well Christ did. And he did what he did very well. You're overcoming him by the blood of the lamb. But if you, listen, it's the difference between knowing that your life is in the hands of God and being apathetic and having a cavalier attitude toward pursuit of God. And if you're apathetic and you have a cavalier attitude, and even if you're engaged in bibliolatry, if you're engaged in that, Either way, if you're standing still, you may be saved, but your life will stink because you'll constantly be fighting against the evil one rather than enjoying the one that wants to give you every good thing. It's the metaphor of movement. Billy Sunday was a famous preacher in Europe, and the story's told when he was in London preaching day after day, week after week, that a young girl started taking notice, and the young girl walked up to Billy Sunday and said, sir, why do you continue to preach when no one's listening? I love his response. He said, well, at first I spoke and I preached in hopes that someone would be changed, but now I keep preaching to make sure that they don't change me. You've got to keep moving. You've got to keep praying. You've got to keep searching. You've got to keep moving toward God. Now, say it with me. Here we go. Number one, truth, truth. Number two, justice, justice. Number three, salvation and persecution, salvation and persecution. And number four, and this is the, this is the end, hope. Hope is what ultimately revelation is about. And if you get this, In the next five minutes, if you get this, you will have a life-defining moment. You will say to yourself, I cannot go on the way I've been going. I got to make a change because here's what the Bible says in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now look at something. The word Greek word for new is not the word for brand new. It is the word for renewed. Those are two different words, not brand new, but renewed. The Bible seems to teach this, that one day we're going to be called up into the air to meet him. And God is going to put a big ribbon around planet earth. And it's going to say closed for renovations. The problem we have is we think heaven is some place way out there somewhere, eerie, fairy place. We're all going to be flying around like angels. You're never going to be an angel. No matter what your daddy told you, little honey, you might be a little angel here. You're never going to be an angel. You understand? You're never going to be... What you're going to be is you're going to be given a glorified body that is conducive and works together with a glorified earth. Remember what happens? Jesus says, when you pray, pray what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Up there is going to come down here. It's a renewed. And some of the best blessings you have in your life right now are just a foreshadowing. It's a down payment of what will one day be. That's why in Romans 8, the Bible says, as the apostle Paul gives creation, he personifies it. It becomes a, a personhood. And he says, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. What does he mean? He means that the creation is like you and me. You ever cry out for a new body? Anybody? Anybody? Well, let me tell you, I just turned 50 every day. What's the, everything is moving south just fast. God, where's my new body? He says, in the same way you do that, the earth says, where's our new body, our new earth? Where's the earth that was once meant to work consistently with humanity so that they would see the goodness in planet earth, the goodness in the universe and praise and worship God. 
and there'd be no hindrance between them and God and the universe and the new heaven and new earth will work consistently and agreeably with humanity. And Paul says, that's going to happen. Back to, back to Revelation, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And it says there's a new city, Jerusalem, doing what? Coming down. Is it going up? It's coming down. And then it says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. God's dwelling place is now among the people. He is with us. He is upon us. And they will be his people. God will be their God. There will be no more crying or death or mourning or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You have to remember that John wrote this to a generation of Christians who were experiencing death, crying, mourning, and pain because of Domitian's policy of persecution. The Christians, their homes were being plundered. Think about this. When John writes this, you've got an entire group of Christians being led into the arena to be torn apart by wild beasts as the crowd looked on. You got Christians who were being impaled on stakes while they were still alive. They covered them in pitch and lit them on fire. And Rome crucified thousands and thousands and placed their bodies along the roads in and out of Rome so that you would see what happens to the Christians. And John how did he encourage a group of Christians facing this by telling them that one day this earth is going to change and the old order of things is gone? And it worked. Historically speaking, we know that it worked because they began to die noble deaths. They began to sing hymns as they were being torn apart by the wild beast because they had a future hope. They didn't say when their lives experienced turmoil, how, why has God abandoned us? They say, how is God going to use this to expand his kingdom here on the earth? And the early church father, Tertullian, by the third century, talks about how the church grew, that great phenomenon that it was planted by the doctrine of the apostles, by truth, but it was watered plentiful by the blood of the saints. The more the saints died, the heavier and more intense the church grew. Now, this is the end. One day, this is going to change. There's going to be no more racism, no more abuse, no more human trafficking, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more hunger, no more genocide, no more death, no more concentration camps, no more the powerful and the rich abusing the poor and the weak. But the overarching point of revelation, the thing that should make you have a life-changing moment is this. We are human creatures, and the way you live now will be greatly determined by what you truly believe about the future. The way you deal with difficult times in your life right now has a lot to do with what you truly believe about the future. Not what you say you believe, but what you truly believe. The way you respond to difficult times. The reason so many of us are so whiny and grumpy and complaining and moody is because you say you believe in the world is to come, but somewhere inside you, you've got this battle going on where you think maybe this is it. Victor Frankel wrote a book called The Search for a Meeting that John Brainerd, the chairman of our board of elders, gave me a few years ago. Couldn't put it down. He talks about two situations. There's a man who finds out while he's in a war camp, while he's in a concentration camp, that his family, his wife and children have been killed. There's another man who discovers that his wife and children are still living. Which one do you think possessed the largest, greatest, most intense drive to stay alive and to endure the concentration camp? the one who knew and had the hope that one day of being restored with his wife and children. There's a phenomenon in New Zealand. They've studied behavior patterns in New Zealand on the workplace. 
And New Zealanders take off work beginning December 15th and they don't come back till January 15th. Businesses just close down. I mean, seriously, they just close down and people are off for a month. It doesn't even count against your vacation time. It's called just the holiday time. God bless those Kiwis, man. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if your boss said, hey, take the next month off. I'll see you January 15th. But there was a behavior pattern. and I've used this before. They've noticed that from, De- from December 1 to December 15th, the attitude and joy in the workplace is overwhelming. Can't even be compared with the rest of the year. Why? Why do you think that is? Because no matter what happens to you, you're thinking, hey, do what you want, boss. Say what you want, coworker. You can gossip all you want, but in 14 days, I'm out of here and I ain't going to see you for a month. <laughs> How much more than we should not we be able to say, world, throw at me what you want. Dragon, bring at me what you want because you're going to lose and I'm going to win. And someday in eternity, my life on this earth is going to look like a little dot on a screen when I'm going to spend billions and billions and immeasurable time in the new earth, the new heavens, and God is going to be with me and we will be his people and he will be our God. Yogi Berra said, the future ain't what it used to be. The Christians believed it looked better than ever before. Say it with me. Truth is real. Say it. Truth is real. Salvation is here. Justice will roll like a river. Hope will become a reality. So keep praying. Keep serving, keep loving, keep forgiving, keep living your life for a purpose greater than yourself. Don't let the world suck you into its flow. Keep swimming against the grain. Keep going upstream and be patient and trust them and be faithful because those who endure will receive the crown of life. Amen. And Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the power of Revelation 12 and a story that should remind us that, man, we have been made right. We have been rescued. We are protected by the blood of the lamb, not by our own good doing or our own good works, but because of what Jesus did for us on the cross for reminding us that you gave up your son so that you would not lose us. And now all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we may lose some battles along the way, but we have already won the war. Help us to live as though victory is already a reality. Help us to remember that Jesus is our savior. And by the blood of the lamb, we shall overcome. Not only then, but we can overcome now. To live our lives in the present as if we truly believe that in the future your kingdom come, your will will be done on this earth as it has been done in heaven from the foundations of the world. Father, I thank you and give us a pizzazz, power, a drivenness to keep on keeping on. And one day up there we'll come down here and we will rejoice forever. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. 
You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Hey, this is Pastor Jeff, and I want to tell you I'm very excited about an upcoming series called The Trouble with Christianity. What I find is a lot of people are really interested in pursuing Christ, but there's a few things they believe, Christians believe, that they just can't get their head around. And we're going to deal with those in hopes of helping people discover the truth about Christ and Christianity. Don't miss the series. Today with Jeff Fines. You can find this series and many more messages where you subscribe to your podcast. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.